0: and reign and are worthy of our complete, total allegiance. You gave your all, that we might give our all to you. We respond to your amazing love and your amazing sacrifice by giving our lives to you. God, what more, what better could we do than surrender to the creator of the universe who knows us best, loves us most. And gave his all for us. And so God, now we give in this offering with joy. Because we trust you. We love you. We want to even surrender our finances to you. Because you are worthy of everything. God, thank you that with new level of surrender comes new level of anointing. New level of surrender leads to new levels of anointing. Thank you that as we surrender... Your spirit does more in our lives. And so we joyfully surrender because we want all that you would want to do and have all that you would want to have in our lives. So we give now a joy in Jesus' name and all God's people said. Amen. 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 All right, you can be seated. And as we take the offering, guess what we get to do now? We get to celebrate some baptisms. What a great example of surrender. What a great example of what we've just sung about. To have these believers be obedient in baptism. So, Earl, who do you got for us, brother? This is Vince.
1: Vince, why don't you uh, tell everybody who you are?
0: I'm Vince. I'm great for a believer in Jesus Christ.
1: <laughs> well, Vince has uh, just recently received Christ as his personal Lord and <laughs> Savior. <laughs> and Vince is the real deal. Well, Vince, I am so happy. You know, 24 years ago today, in this same building, on Palm Sunday, God got a hold of me and radically changed my life and delivered me from crack cocaine addiction. So you can imagine how blessed (laughs) I am to be able to share this moment with you. Hallelujah. Well, in accordance with and in obedience to the Bible, the Holy Word, and... um, By the authority of the New Testament church, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit.
0: I be seated. Love it. We do standing ovations here at Living Hope. That's the way we celebrate.
1: Come on Amen. in. Jeremy, why don't you introduce yourself?
0: Um, Jeremy, grateful believer in Jesus Christ.
1: Amen. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, you know, the Bible tells us that if you are in Christ Jesus, old things pass away. They die. All things become new. So today, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
0: Next, yep, yep, this is Tina Fleming and it's been exciting to see her in the last few weeks just really uh, come to me with a heart to follow the Lord in obedience and baptism and you know baptism is such a beautiful picture of the gospel because water is a cleansing agent and it shows us that we're cleansed of our sins by the blood of Jesus. When a person goes under the water it shows that they're dead to the old life and they come out of the water, they're alive in their new life in Christ.
1: I ask God and Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, to show me daily how to take up my cross and to serve my Lord and Savior. God who gave me life, I come to you as your servant and ask that the Trinity dwell within me, mind, body, and spirit. I ask for repentance of all sins I have committed against you, Abba. I ask that you cleanse my heart and spirit. Anoint me, Father, with the Holy Spirit. Your Son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross and was risen in three days with a new holy body so that I could come to you through him for my salvation now. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Yeah, so Tina, based on your faith in Jesus Christ and your desire to follow him, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know what? It's all about changed lives, isn't it? All about changed lives. That's what the gospel's all about. Amen. All right. Children that wish to go to children's church, you're dismissed out that exit. We wanted to keep you in here so you could see that. Some of you children may want to follow the Lord in baptism if you've been saved. All right. Turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. We have a very, very interesting passage of scripture. And uh, as you're turning to 1 John 3, a couple quick praises. This is Palm Sunday, and it's also Living Hope Church's anniversary. So Living Hope Church is nine years old today. We started Living Hope in 2013, and in 2014 on Palm Sunday was the first Sunday we were at Sunday morning services in this building. So we celebrate that, and also a huge praise. Because of your generosity, this week the elders made a decision to apply $20,000 to our loan principal reduce our debt. So we give praise to God for that. We've also committed an extra $200 a month to the principal on a monthly basis. And so we we are excited to see God just reduce that debt and eventually pay it off. All right. Very interesting passage of scripture today. Does a Christian still sin? 1 John 3, beginning at verse 4, let's stand together in respect for God's word. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. But the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother." Holy Spirit, we ask you to give us understanding, and I pray for great transformation in our lives because of this message. Thank you for your holy word. We invite your Holy Spirit to be powerful and present in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, very interesting passage of scripture. Title of this message is, Do Christians Still Sin? Now, the reason this passage has been controversial and and uh, difficult to understand in the past, is primarily because in the King James Version, verse 9 reads such as this. Here's verse 9 in the King James. Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. Now that could lead one to conclude that if you sin, then you're not a Christian. It was reported to me that just uh, in in the last week, somebody was preaching recently somewhere close to here and literally said, if you're a Christian, you don't sin. So if you sin, you're not saved. Is that true? Is that what this verse means? Well, it sure seems to say it is. So sometimes when you want to properly understand Scripture, you begin with what it doesn't mean. Then you go to what it does mean, and then you want to say, how do we apply this? So that's the three questions we're going to answer today. We're going to answer these three questions. What does this not mean? Let's start with that. Then let's go to what it does mean, and then let's say, most importantly, how do we apply this? How do we as believers, how are we to live out what this is saying today? So let's dive right in. First of all, it does not mean that a true Christian never sins. Because in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So right there, we can clear that up. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. John certainly isn't going to contradict himself. So it doesn't mean that a Christian doesn't sin. It doesn't mean that a Christian is perfect. The Bible says it all falls short of the glory of God, and that applies to believers and unbelievers. It does not mean that a true Christian doesn't struggle. Romans chapter 7, Paul said, I don't do the things I should do. I do the things I shouldn't do. Who will set me free? Paul is struggling in Romans 7. We all struggle. Sanctification is a process. Don't we wish that the moment we were saved, we were perfect and never sinned? If If that were the case, we'd just be called up right to heaven. But remember, there's those three elements of salvation, justification, sanctification, glorification. Justification happens the moment you're born again. Sanctification is the ongoing process of living it out. And glorification is when you receive your glorified body in the future for eternity. It doesn't mean that a true Christian is to strive in their own flesh to try to be perfect. Man, if that's your Christian life, then today, God's gonna to set you free because the only way you can live a righteous life is in and through and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, it certainly is not, this is not a call for Christians to struggle and strive and, and just gut it out to get better and better. That's not what this is teaching. All right, so what does this mean? What is this passage teaching? Well, first of all, let's begin with sin is normal for the children of the devil. In verse 8, it says that whoever makes a practice, and here's the key, you guys, The word practice, the word abiding, the word continuing, whatever translation you might be using, you'll see this this repetition of practicing continually. In other words, it's referring to a lifestyle, not just a moment here and a moment there. It's referring to a pattern of life, that which characterizes your life. So the child of of the devil, remember we learned last week you're either a child of God or a child of the devil? I know that sounds like harsh language if that's what the Bible teaches, you're either in, in God's camp or the enemy's camp. So first of all, let's say a, a person who's not a follower of Jesus, sin is normal to them. That's what it says right here. It's, it's Whoever makes a practice of sin is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. We should not expect non-believers to live a godly life. Hello. <laughs> a non-Christian knows nothing but to sin. And so that's normal for them. Number two, a true Christ follower will experience a change. The Bible says that if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Now listen, you don't live righteous to become righteous, but if you are righteous in Christ, then righteousness will follow in your sanctification journey. Let me repeat that. You do not live righteous to become righteous as if you can save yourself by your good works. It's not what this passage is teaching. But if you are righteous in justification then it will affect your sanctification if you're truly born again if you truly have the spirit of god in your life you will experience changes you'll experience god changing your desires changing your motives now that takes time sanctification is a slow process but you will see changes and we've seen this in the book of first john this is one of the themes of this book is how do you tell somebody's a true believer And we've gotten up to at least six signs of a believer. We've seen that a true believer walks in the light. In other words, they'll be honest. They'll be a person of integrity. they want to bring things into the light. They won't hide things. They'll they'll, they'll live a life of obedience. Perfect obedience? No. But progressive obedience? They'll grow. They'll mature. they'll, 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 over time, go from a spiritual child to a spiritual young man to a spiritual father. They'll have a love for others. Perfectly love others? Of course not. Perfectly treat other people the way they should be treated? Of course not. But there will be a change. They'll start seeing people differently. They'll start treating people differently. Shannon talked about how they won't be a lover of the world. So the things of the world, are they still appealing to them? Yes. Are they still tempted? Yes. Do they fall into materialism? Yes. But it's not the pattern of their life. And that as they grow in Christ they will be increasingly weaned from the love of the world. The things of the world will not be as appealing to them because they want to love God, serve God, and do that which is eternal. And then last week, we learned that a true believer will persevere. So these are just six of the signs. I've I've come up with 12 across the whole book, and we'll be unpacking those in the weeks ahead. But at this point, we've gotten to at least six signs of a true believer. So you will see change. If you're truly justified by faith in Christ, then you will see changes in your sanctification journey. All right, This passage also teaches that righteousness is normal for the child of God. It says here that little children let no one deceive you. By the way, you're deceived when you think something's true that's not. And that's why we need the Word of God. That's why we need the Spirit of God. That's why we need the preaching of God's Word. That's why we need the fellowship of others to keep us from being deceived. A lot of false teachers today. A lot of things being presented as biblical that aren't. So he says, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Now again, you don't live righteous to become righteous, but if you are righteous in Christ, then righteousness will be a natural outflow of your true identity. Listen, Christian. The more you see yourself the way God sees you, the more you claim your identity in Christ, Your behavior will increasingly line up with your identity. This is why I do not believe the best description of a Christian is a sinner saved by grace. Sounds real pious, sounds real religious, sounds real spiritual, sounds real humble. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, you're a saint who occasionally sins. You see, if you think you're you're just a sinner saved by grace, then you'll think sin is normal for your nature. It's not. Righteousness is normal for your nature. And the more you see yourself as righteous in Christ, the more you will want to live a righteous life. If two people are walking along a road and there's a big mud puddle, one has a white tuxedo on and the other has old dirty, ragged, dirty clothes, torn jeans, who's going to most avoid the, the mud puddle? The person in the white tuxedo. The more you see yourself as righteous in Christ, the more you will see that sin is acting inconsistent with your true nature. Sin is acting inconsistent with your true nature. Number four, I'm not sure my grammar's correct here, so if you're an English teacher, give me a little grace. Habitual, unrepented of, we should probably hyphenate that, habitual, unrepented of sin is inconsistent with the believer's new nature. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Now, there's the key that unlocks one of the mysteries of this passage. Now, I'm not here to overly slam the King James Version, but it's important that you understand the King James Version was translated in the year 1611. Okay? We now have different words in English for things. We actually have more knowledge of the Greek language than they had then. And one of the things that the King James Version does in in an attempt to be super literal word for word, they mistakenly miss the Greek verb tense. And so the King James says, whoever's born of God does not sin, but the word sin in the Greek is written in the continuous, ongoing, infinitive tense, meaning practice sin. So the new translations actually get it more accurate because there's ways of writing things in the Greek language that are different than the English language and the verb tenses are incredibly complex they're beautiful that's why God had his New Testament written in Greek and so literally this reads exactly what it says here practice of sinning that if you're born of God if you're a believer you won't be caught in a lifestyle of unrepented of sin Will you sin? Yes. Will you slip up? Yes. But when you do, what happens? You you are shown by God that you messed up. Your heart says, I don't want to do that. It grieves you because you love God. You love God more than your sin. And so yes, we fall. Yes, we slip up. But when we do, if you're a believer, you quickly want to come back and repent and get right back in line with his will. And this is consistent with a verse we've used over and over and over in our study of 1 John, Hebrews chapter 12, God disciplines those whom he loves. If you're without discipline, you're an illegitimate child and not a true son. So one way to determine if you're a legitimate child of God is when you sin, you want to quickly repent and get back in line with the will of God. So if you sin and you love your sin more than God and you stray from God and you actually love it and you don't want to return, probably, maybe, I can't judge your heart, only God and you know, you might not be saved. Because if you're truly saved and you're walking with God, but you slip and you fall and you get out of his will, he will draw you back. It's one of the signs of being a believer. So, John Stott, in his excellent commentary on 1 John, says this. It is not an isolated act of sin, which is envisioned here, but the settled habit of it. See? The present infinitive, that's the way it's written in the Greek, signifies he's not able to sin habitually. In this whole section, John is arguing rather the incongruity, than the impossibility of sin in the Christian. In other words, he's not saying it's impossible that a Christian will sin. They will. But it's incongruous. It's it's not congruous with his true nature. That's why John Calvin says this. It's not that Christians are wholly free from all vice. In other words, we're perfect. We, We aren't. But that we heartily strive to form their lives in obedience to God. Sin does not reign in them. See, that's that habitualness for the Spirit does not let it flourish. Isn't that good? Do you see the difference, believer? Are you understanding this better? And so now, the next point is that abiding in Christ is really the key to not sinning. Because he says, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. But if we're not abiding, we will sin, okay? But if you are abiding, you won't sin. So let me walk this out for you. If you're praying without ceasing, If you're meditating on the Word day and night, if you're in fellowship with other believers, if you're studying the Word and meditating on the Word and obeying the Word, if you are serving God and you're doing evangelism and discipleship and and you're serving and you're praying for the nations and you're involved in missions and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, guess what's not going to happen? Sin. (laughs) In other words, the best defense against temptation and sin is a good offense of abiding in Christ. You're so busy abiding, you don't have time to sin. (laughs) That's all this is teaching. He's arguing that the best way to avoid sin is just to abide in Christ, to walk with the Lord, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to let the life of Christ be expressed in you and through you. Will you slip and fall? Yes, but you come back. You want to continue to come back. Because when the Spirit... The Bible says don't quench the spirit. The word quench means to make him sad. Another translation says don't grieve the spirit. We grieve when we lose somebody, right? Somebody dies. We grieve. Why? Because we miss their fellowship. God is grieved when we sin because he He misses our fellowship. The relationship has not been removed. That can't be changed. But the daily fellowship, just like I can't get unmarried. If If I sin against my wife, it doesn't make us unmarried but it sure has hindered our fellowship. If I mean to my wife, there's all of a sudden a barrier between us. And the quicker I repent, the quicker I own up to it, ask forgiveness, say, honey, I was wrong, the more quickly we're restored. Same with God. Same with God. So, how do we apply this? That's the key. And so I want to close with this. Verse 9 is huge. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed, here's the key, you guys. We're going deep. We're going to really unpack what does this mean that we have God's seed in us. For God's seed abides in Him. So if, as we unpack what this seed is, and what happens at the born-again experience, This is going to be key in us living a righteous, holy life. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he's been born of God. So watch closely. Got two ways to illustrate this today. Got an apple here. Inside this apple are seeds. Now these seeds—they do not produce themselves. The apple produced the seed. Without an apple, you have no seed. So the first thing we learn about this principle of the seed is that it is something granted by God. It is implanted by God. Okay, let's go to the next slide. It's implanted by God. So the first key to living a righteous holy life and to avoid sin is realize what was implanted to us by God. Verse 9 says that there's a seed in you if you're a believer. Now, if you're not a believer today, you need to get saved so that you'll have this seed in you because otherwise you're going to try to live a godly life, you're going to try to live a holy life, but it will be absolutely fruitless because you'll be doing it in your flesh, and that is a big dead-end streak. Unfortunately, I mean, many believers do the same thing. They try to do it in the flesh. And so I hope today that you're going to get set free because you're going to begin to grasp and understand and God's going to help you know and your knower some of these things that are true of your heart and what happened the moment you were born again. And those are the keys to living a righteous life and avoiding sin. So first of all, we see that it's implanted by God. Secondly, we learn that it, is, it has to do with our new nature. Now I want you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Go back one book, 2 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. This is so important. In 2 Peter 1, 3-4, it says, "...His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence." So you're gaining that knowledge today. The knowledge of what? That you are given by God, by His divine power, that which is able to sufficiently supply you with everything you need for life and godliness. Verse 4, "...by which He has granted to us His very precious and great promises." so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Listen, Christian, you have the divine nature. You have a righteous nature. You have the very nature of God given to you the moment you are born again. You get a new heart. You get a new spirit. You get a new nature. That's why you're called righteous and holy and a saint. So the second thing about that seed, it is all to do with your new nature in Christ Jesus. And the more you live out of that new nature, the more you're going to experience love, joy, peace, and victory. But if you try to live out of your flesh, and you try to do it on your own, it is a dead-end street. Thirdly, it has to do with a principle. In John chapter 12, Jesus said, unless a kernel of wheat dies, falls and dies, It will not produce fruit. Now, this is huge. This seed, the only way this seed is going to produce fruit, the only way this seed is going to produce an apple tree and all other apples is if you put it in the ground and it dies. And so the other principle that is so important today is that growth comes as we surrender and there must be death before growth. This has to do with you and I surrendering our wills to God. New surrender leads to new levels of anointing. The deeper you surrender, the more the Holy Spirit is freed up to do His work in us and through us. And the more you get to know God, the more you want to surrender. Because you recognize that His will is good. His will is acceptable. And His will is perfect. Why would I want my will? Why would I want my will over His when He created me, loves me, knows the future, knows what's best for me? I want His good, His acceptable, and His perfect will. And it comes by yielding. It comes by surrendering. It comes by saying, God, not my will, but Yours be done. Lord, I yield to You. I surrender to You. We've sung about it today. God, You can have my heart. I want to give it to You in a fresh and a new and a deeper way. Listen, when You do that, New levels of anointing, new levels of power, new levels of victory come into your life. Had a guy just a few weeks ago come to me. He has struggled with smoking. I know probably none of you in this room struggle with smoking. It's actually one of the strongest addictions out there. Nicotine. Some say it's stronger than meth. Guys that are on a recovery program and they can overcome a lot of things, but it seems like nicotine is the hardest. And recently, a brother came to me here. He said, Pastor David, I'm just so excited. I've been Completely set free from cigarettes. I've struggled all my life. And, I, and he said, I've tried everything under the sun. I said, well, what was the key? And he says, honestly, I thought I had surrendered before, but I really hadn't. He said, I truly, genuinely surrendered. I mean, it sounds cliche but it's not. He said, I just surrendered to where I really did want God to set me free, and I actually asked him, take away the desire. Take away the taste. Now, I know that sometimes these Habitual sins, these sin that so easily entangles us, Hebrews 12. We all have one or two areas. I write about this in my book, Fatal Flaws and Wet Blankets, that chapter. And so we all have these fatal flaws. We all have these areas that, you know, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, the the sin that so easily entangles us, and victory for some comes quicker than others. I get that, and that is definitely understandable. There's a lot of grace here for that. But I will tell you this, there's no question biblically, that one of the keys to victory is surrender. Really surrendering. Really yielding. Really saying, God, I yield this to you. And some of you today, you need to surrender some things. All right, next is the Word. We know that the Bible uses seed to refer to the Word in Mark chapter 4. And so no question that one of the keys to walking in victory, avoiding sin, is meditating on the Word day and night. Psalm 1:19 says, "How can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to thy word? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might sin against, that I might not sin against thee." And so the word is where we learn His promises. The word is where we learn who He is. The word is where we learn who we are. The word is what begins to, to just bubble up in us and take root in our hearts. and the word is just so important in our sanctification. Now the next one I believe, is the most important, and it's the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe seed here also refers to the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And let me illustrate it. I've done this before, but today hopefully you'll see it in a new light. Now what often happens in people's lives is that they try to make things happen. They work hard or they get more disciplined or they exert their flesh or they 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 do these things that they think are going to make them godly, but they have no power. They're doing it in their own strength. And if you notice here, I can touch this thing all day long. Nothing's happening. Why? Because the power's not turned on. This is what happens. Watch closely. The moment you are saved, the moment you are born again, the moment you are implanted by God with that seed, you get a new nature. You have everything pertaining to life and godliness. The Bible says in Romans 8, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead comes to live inside of you. This is what happens. You get the power of God in your life. You have everything available to you for life and godliness. But we've learned today that one of the most important things is tapping into that power, tapping into those resources, abiding, practicing. And so the way you do that, you begin to pray. And that helps you connect with the power of the Holy Spirit. You read the Word, and that helps you connect with the power of the Holy Spirit. You ask God on a regular basis to fill you. One of the questions in first service today was, "Why do we need to continually ask to be filled?" Because Ephesians five says, "Be ye continually filled with the Spirit." That I need the filling of the Spirit to preach this message. I need the filling of the Spirit when I go home to love my wife. I need the filling of the Holy Spirit every time I spend time with God. I need the filling of the Holy Spirit every time I go to racetrack for gas. I need the Holy. Why do I need that? Because the gas prices are driving me crazy. And if I let those prices get into my flesh, I'm going to sin against Washington. I'm going to sin against everybody in Washington. I'm going to sin against Putin. I'm going to, oh my gosh, it can be all over the map. So right then and there, Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, fill me when I see $3.90. We need Him every moment. And when we abide, and here's the key today. The key is abiding. The key is abiding. Staying connected. connected. Because we've already been given in justification everything we need for sanctification. So this passage is not teaching that you never sin. This passage is not teaching that you can reach sinless perfection. This passage is simply teaching that if you are a child of the living God, and you are appropriating what you have, and there's one more. It's called authority over Satan. He used that verse later. He talked about Satan's sins from the beginning. Chapter 4, verse 4 says, Greater is he... That is in me than he that's in the world. So who's going to try to knock you off track? Satan. Who's going to try to steal, kill, and destroy your your progress in Christ? Satan. But the Bible says "Greater's he that's in you than he that's in the world. You have authority over Satan. You can take authority over the demonic spirits. You can rebuke them in Jesus' name. Beloved, here's the bottom line today. We have in Christ everything for life and godliness. We just have to stay connected. We have to tap into what we have. And when you do that, that power is ignited. The life of Christ is lived through you and in you and around you and out of you. This is what it means to live a godly, righteous, joyful, victorious Christian life. And let me say one more thing. I believe one of the reasons that many people live in defeat is because they are more focused on their sin than on their righteousness. They are so sin conscious. Oh, I've got all these problems. I've got all these struggles. And, and it sounds real spiritual, but it can become a religious spirit really quick because you're trying to do self-improvement. You're trying to change yourself. And you think that by just getting more discipline or by applying the 12 steps, I'm not against the 12 steps if they're done right, so don't, take, don't mistake this. But, but, but it's, like it's, it's behavior modification. Thinking that if I just modify my behavior... And you're focusing on you and you're living in defeat and frustration instead of recognizing who you are in Christ. I'm righteous in Christ. I'm loved by God. I have a new nature. I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me. I have everything pertaining to life and Godliness. You take that bookmark out in the lobby from Neil Anderson and you start repeating those truths to yourself every day, I'm telling you, you'll begin to live more consistent with who you recognize you already are. Such a difference. When you recognize who you are in Christ, you will want to live consistent with who you are when you truly believe who you are in Christ. There's a world of difference from self-help, effort, behavior modification, and really allowing the the, the truths of who you are, the truths of who He is. Now listen, I'll close with this. 2 Corinthians 3.18. As we behold the glory of God, It didn't say as we behold our problems. It didn't say as we behold our sin. It didn't say as we behold our need to get better and better. It says as we behold the glory of God, we are being transformed from one degree of glory to another degree of glory by His Spirit. Beloved, you need to memorize that verse. As we behold the glory of God. This is why worship is so important. Worship helps us behold the glory of God. Then as we behold his glory, get our eyes off ourselves and get our eyes on him. Then we will be transformed from one degree of glory to the next by his spirit. So where today do you need to apply this? Some of you need to get born again. You need to receive Christ. You don't even have the seed. (laughs) You need that seed and that seed comes the moment you're saved and born again. Some of you need to surrender at a new level. Some of you need to repent of self-righteousness. Some of you need to surrender from trying to do it on your own. You need to surrender at a whole new level and say, God, I want your life to be lived through me. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Worship team, if you'd come out, let's pray together. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your awesome word. I thank you that it's so balanced, never contradicts itself. Even when we run into passages that we go, ooh, ooh, what's going on here? Mmm, this doesn't, I don't know what's happening here. That when we really dig and search and study and meditate, you give understanding. The pieces begin to come together. And that's why we want to rightly divide the word of truth. So thank you, Lord. God, I pray with all my heart that today would be a day that many just go to new levels in their walk with you. If you're here today and you've never opened the door of your life and received Christ, receive Him now. Pray and invite Him to come into your life. Surrender your life to Him. Put your faith and trust in Christ alone. Just say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Take control. Change me from the inside out. I put my trust in what you did at the cross to make me right with God. I don't trust in my works. I don't trust in my religion. I trust in you. Christian today, just surrender. Surrender afresh. Say, God, I want your life, your power to live through me. I don't want to try to do this in my flesh. That's a dead end street. Thank you that you've given me everything pertaining to life and godliness. I want to invite our prayer team now to take your places, please. Some of you right now just need to get out of your seat and go to somebody on that prayer team and get prayer for something in your life. Some of you need to come to the front right now, just kneel at the steps. Surrender afresh. Yield at a new level. New levels of surrender lead to new heights of anointing. New levels of surrender lead to new heights of anointing. Ask the Lord right now to fill you afresh with His Holy Spirit. Baptize you in the Spirit. Saturate you with the Spirit. Say, Lord, I want all that that you have for me. Don't be hesitant. You come and kneel here at the front somebody on that prayer team let them pray over you maybe for fresh anointing new levels of surrender lead to new Place as we respond to your word.